Hi everybody, Mark's my name and I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome people that are joining us around the, around the world on the internet. We're glad you're with us and I'm honored that you're with us today. I hope you're well and connected with a few key people, friends in your life and I want you to know I miss you but we're glad that you're here. Uh, let, let me jump right in. We're talking about prophets today, the Old Testament prophets and specifically Micah. And, and uh, as I want to introduce this way, if, if we think of certain professions what is the basic emotion that mostly you think of? For instance, clowns. If you think of clowns, uh, what do you kind of think about? Well, usually laughter and fun and circus and all good stuff like that. How about an ER doctor? Well, you'd probably think about kindness and intelligence and hopefully uh, he's, he's good. Uh, th thirdly, uh, a school principal. Now, some school principals are great. They're happy. Mine were usually stern and scary. And I spend a lot of my early days in the principal's office, and we won't go into that. Fourthly, prophets. When you think of prophets, what do you usually think of? Usually, uh, different, harsh, angry. You see, throughout the Old Testament, there's been a window that we've seen, and we can see into the heart of prophets. In fact, they're a bit cranky, really. If you look at Amos chapter, or as the Hebrew people say it, Amos, Chapter 4, verse 1, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. He's calling the women of the, of the area just north of the Sea of Galilee uh, cows. You who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. They don't care about the poor. They just want to know what they're drinking next. Or Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, your prayer is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations, I can't bear your evil assemblies. God is basically saying, I hate the re religiosity that I'm seeing in you. Well, folks, prophets get like that. They get cranky. And sometimes their behavior is strange. Hosea married a prostitute. If your buddies come to you and say, uh, who are you getting married? They'd probably want to talk to you, talk you out of that one. Oh, no. Hosea did that. Ezekiel ate food that was cooked over manure to create a picture of just how unclean God's people have become and how much they need to repent. And there's other places you can go into this. Well, let me read one verse from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Please stand in respect of God's word. Just one verse today, and then we're going to delve into this. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, Walk humbly with your God. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today about this. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I'm going to take some material from the Old Testament challenge materials we're walking through right now and um, just kind of jumping right in. Number one, why do we read and study the prophets? Well, that's real simple. We read and study the prophets because they're in the Bible. I've said this before, what happens when we get to heaven and Obadiah is sitting beside us or maybe Zephaniah and you're in the middle of a, maybe a super, super Bowl party or something and he says, hey, how'd you like my book? What are you going to say? Well, I got to Leviticus and got bogged down. I, I didn't get to your book. No. We want to read all of God's word. In 2 Timothy 3, chapter uh, 3, verse 16, all in Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training. Not just some, all. So that men and women of God may be thoroughly equipped to every good work. If selectively we read our scriptures, rather than holistically, we end up with a selective theology and morality. 
We don't pick and choose our, our morality. All of God's word is something that we read and study. Secondly, we need to read the prophets because they help us hear what we wouldn't hear on our own. All of us have blind spots, and the prophets simply reveal many of our blind spots. There's a reason God chose 17 books out of the 66 to be prophetic. And there's a reason some of the anger that, that, that goes on in the prophets, because they see what God sees and hear what he hears. Let me put it this way. Choose, let, let's say we got Andrew and, and the best group we could up for leading us in singing and playing, and they chose your favorite song, whatever that would be. And let's say they started playing and singing, and it was bad. Like it's off, the beat is off, the, 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 the guitars are untuned. Uh, the, the, the singer is painfully, have you ever heard someone like that? Painfully sharp or flat. And it just, it just, you would rather say, don't sing it at all if you can't sing and play it right, wouldn't you? You see, those that are, that are musically sensitive to that, they would say, I have heard how this is done well, and that wasn't well. Please stop. You see, that's the world that the prophetic live in. All that breaks God's heart breaks theirs. All the insight into sin breaks, and they, breaks their heart, and they are, they, they are forever living in what they would say is a sin-filled world, and they hate it because God gives them insight. That's one reason the prophets often and the prophetic often has got an angry twinge to it. The burden of the prophets. The prophets bear the crushing burden, one author writes, of feeling what God feels and seeing what God sees and hearing what God hears. Their passion is the natural extension of the call of God upon their lives. They seemingly think these, these bizarre ways that the uh, prophets are, are living are, are weird. But they, they recognize the depth of our pain and sin that we live in as human beings. You see, to the prophetic, the richer, richer gets richer, and, and the, the poor get poorer. Lies are spoken, dishonest business practices. Prisoners sit in jails day after day, and no one visits them. Children go to bed hungry. You see, prophets see that kind of stuff, and they've heard the harmony of God's word and the harmony of the God's kingdom that he wants to bring. But because it isn't there, this dissonance has taken over their ears, and they don't like it. Thirdly, we read the prophets because we need their message to pierce our hearts. And most of the time, people ignore prophets. We don't like to hear that we've got things wrong in our lives. And most people avoid prophets in our church and in our world. Some of the events that the prophets uh, deal with, the everyday occurrences of our world, they're things that uh, once the prophets condemned in God's name, and now they seem normal because you and I have gotten comfortable and complacent. We hardly even notice that sin is around us. Prophetic people do. Let me give you an illustration. You ever driven past a hog farm? <laughs> Tell you. That animal can make stink like, I, like none others. And if, if the closer you get to a hog farm, there's a, an, an, a tolerance that you need for smell. My, my friend, his dad was a pig farmer. And um, he asked me to come and help him do some stuff. I tell you, it, it, my eyes are watering and I, my sinuses are completely cleared out in moments. That it just hits you like a wall. But I have to say this. You work in that 
stench for about six hours, and it seems like it doesn't smell that bad anymore. Now, the issue is not that it doesn't smell that bad. The issue is we get used to it. And in time, you, it, it doesn't disappear, but you can actually work in that situation, and it doesn't kill you. Sin functions the same way. We stay in close proximity to certain sinful practices. We don't even smell it anymore. We don't see the consequences. We don't see why it's a big deal to the prophetic. But the job of the prophets is to shake us up and wake us up so that we realize there's a bad, dead, stinking thing around here that we need to deal with. They do that. I've, in, my ch- in the church world where I talk to other pastors, let me just give you a little glimpse of something that I think stinks. When there's churches that are running and they have no small groups, no place where people can be loved. There's no real generosity in the church and sacrifice in their giving. There's no discipleship. The poor are not helped. There's no evangelism. There's no life change. Drives me crazy. And it drives other prophets crazy. This is not the way God's kingdom needs to be run. And this is not the way of the church that Jesus had in mind. How did, how did we become more interested in our potlucks than in the, po- in the poor around us? How does that happen? And not only how does it happen, but why doesn't someone stand up and say, we've got to change this? Well, what is God asking us to do? He's not asking us to sit in our guilt. He's not asking us to be, to be immobilized over the immensity of the problem in our world. Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 6, but also the key is in 8, is the statement that I think is ground zero for all prophecy in the Old Testament as it relates to who we need to become and what God requires of us. In chapter 6, verse 6, in that first verse it says, with what shall we come before you, Lord, and bow down before the exalted God? In other words, what do you want from us? Verse 7, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Those are quite inexpensive. Calves a year old, more expensive, more sacrifice. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Okay, we're getting way out there. Or 10,000 rivers of oil? Or maybe the offering of my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body? What do you want from me, God? That's really what's asking here. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here they are. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Got it? Let's walk through those. There's a message, a central message, a part of that. This is that God wants us to offer him. What he wants us to do is give him our hearts and our lives. What God is asking for is, is, is what everyone can give. He wants us to act and reflect in his justice. He invites us to love what is merciful or kind. God wants us to be authentic in humility with him. We are to be humble before God, and if we will be that, we will follow him and become like him. That's how he wants his children to act. Three things. First, to do justice. I want you to know that justice is something we don't talk about simply. We do. We hate we hate injustice usually. We love it when the bad guys who are unjust get a taste of their own medicine. 
So I got a story that I want to share with you, and it comes from the L.A. Times. It's about a guy named Dave Hagler, who was an umpire in baseball. He, he tells the story, and I'll just read it. I was driving too fast in the snow in Boulder, Colorado, and a policeman pulled me over and gave me a speeding ticket. I tried to talk him out of it. I told him I was worried about my insurance going up. Uh, I, was, I tried to explain that, really, I am a good and careful driver, and he told me that if I didn't like the ticket, go talk to a judge. Well, the first game of the next season in baseball showed up, and I'm waiting as the umpire behind the back plate and the home plate, and I stood, uh, stood there, and the first batter walked up. And guess what? My eyes hit his, his eyes hit me, and we recognized each other. Here's the cop that gave me that ticket. It was an awkward pause, and then he asked me, how did uh, that uh, thing go with uh, the ticket and the judge? And he says, I paused and looked him in the eye and said, you might as well swing at everything. <laughs> we love when other people get just treatment. We're not so sure about ourselves. We have this double standard often, and we think that God should be helping us more and energizing us more and kind of shunning people that don't act the way that we think is a good way to act. We need to do justice. Folks, when I was a lot younger as a pastor, my head was not in the space where many pastors should be, that being a place to help the poor and needy. I'd kind of say, I'll oh, get a job. Listen, it was just wrong. It took going to Ephesus, which is Ephesus, on a trip with, uh, really, this rabbinic type of prophetic guy. And he took, us, he took us to the Magnesian Gate at the royal end of the Royal Road, it's called, in Ephesus. It's a gate where, you see, if you know what happens in Ephesus, it was just a giant orgy often. They would have month-long party times. And babies would result out of this. Well, what do you, would you, well, what do, you do to get rid of these unwanted babies? You bring them to the Magnesian gate and let them die of exposure or let those children be raised as slaves. And this rabbi told us in very detailed way what happens at this gate. And God spoke to me. And I'll never forget it. He talked to me about helping those that can't help themselves. He talked to me about the poor. And that was the time I came back to you and preached that message that many of you weren't here. But I talked about the Magnesian Gate and how children are dying. And on our watch, we want to do some changes on that. We started building, chain, building orphanages and helping orphanages around our world. And now the ministry that you provide and fund, I want to say thank you again for all that you do. Folks, we are called to do justice, not sit around and talk about it, and, it, and do justice in such a way where the, the, the cities that we live in will be transformed. You know how the gospel took such root in Ephesus? Do you know how that happened? Christians adopted these children and cared for these children years ago, and people wanted to know what was going on. And they, what they found was this is the way the kingdom of God happens and matters, that we will help the poor and the needy. 
And people flocked to the gospel in that town called Ephesus. And we get the benefit of seeing that in the seven churches of Revelation and a book after Ephesus. We are called to do justice. Secondly, we are called to love kindness. In the NIV, the words are mercy. In the Hebrew, it talks about loving kindness, love in action. I got a little story I want to I want to read for you, and I'll, I'll I'll summarize it a bit. In in Paradise, California, there was a young man named John Gilbert, who, as he was five years old, John was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. It was genetic, it was progressive, and it was cruel. And he started losing and destroying every part of the, his muscle in his body in about ten years, and it took about ten years later after he was diagnosed, that he died. Each year, John lost something. First, as a little boy, he lost his ability to run. Then he lost his ability to to walk. He lost his ability for his hands, and it just went on and on. To honor John, they made him, in one year, the ambassador for muscular dystrophy in all of California. And he was at a fundraiser, an auction. Those auctions that they come and people pay way too much for food and because basically they're just helping this, this cause. And they, 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 uh, they buy things. and they Well, anyhow, that, that whole auction thing was going on. And John had his, his eye on one thing, and that was a basketball that was signed by all the Sacramento, Sacramento kings. John had a, he got a little carried away. In fact, when the baseball finally came up to, to buy, he, he even put his hand up a, a little bit and said, I'd love to have that. He had no money. People started bidding on this, and it went higher and higher and higher until one man amounted or gave, offered an amount that shocked the whole room. Everybody stopped. No one else could match that. And so it was declared sold. So this man came up to the front and collected his basketball, this prize. But he did something very different after that. Instead of keeping it, taking it back to his seat, he took it over to where John was sitting, and he put that basketball in John's hands. Kindness. I want to ask you, Buy any basketballs lately? You see, folks, when you and I are kind, we exemplify and mirror the very presence and person of Jesus who is kind. And we need to be that. And often we get busy, we get in a hurry, and we forget kindness. Maybe some of you in kindness need to do ministry in, our, in, our, in a uh, nursery Maybe in our church, great. It could be there or elsewhere, other places. Maybe you want to serve at a soup kitchen. That'd be kind. Maybe you want to help some young people and be a youth worker for people. Maybe you want to give blood. Whatever you'd like to do, whatever God wants you to be doing, do it in kindness, and it will reflect the very person of Jesus. Thirdly, it says, walk humbly with your God. Some uh, some. Uh, people that with a prophetic giftedness need to hear this. In fact, I, I needed to hear this this week because Diane came home and she said, I'm just ticked right off. I said, well, what's going on? 
She said, you know, I phoned one of the pastors of the churches in our area, and we're doing all these uh, hampers, and the address was right real close to his church. And we thought we could phone him, and he could deliver a hamper for these people and draw them to his church. You don't have to come to our church. We're trying to be kind to whoever we is in need, but we're, we want them to go to a good church. And she said, it took the pastor. He said, oh, I'll pray about it and get back to you. Took him four weeks of prayer, apparently, to figure out that he could give out some, some hampers for us of people close to his church. But he didn't want to pay for them. He wanted our church to pay for them, and he would just go give them out. This just angers me. But I had to, I have to tell you, after I, I wanted to phone him, I wanted to talk to him. I needed to humble myself. And that's what's going on here. Rather than pushing my weight around, it's important that I understand that I'm not the policeman or the boss of the world. I have a prophetic giftedness, but that doesn't me make me correct. In fact, there's a, there's a difference, a subtle difference between self-righteousness and just being a jerk. And I didn't want to be either. And so God's been speaking to me the rest of this week about this. Uh, prophets themselves need to realize that we have sin in our life. And we need to realize that we need repentance. We need to call other people to repentance, yes. But we need to choose humility. And be aware that they're, they're often pride rather than humility builds in our life. Well, folks, it's pretty clear. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God. Some things that you can do about that? Well, maybe you and I need to notice some things. Notice what's, what people are saying and where they're hurting and, and support them in that. Maybe we need to pray and ask God that he would change our hearts from unselfishness or pride or whatever else we're bound up in and give us the freedom that only Jesus can. Maybe we need to find some friends that we do ministry with and, and will help us as we do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. Maybe we need to choose courage in ourselves and in our children and take risks for God's kingdom. Maybe we need to be more generous than we are. Rather than spending money on trinkets and stuff like that, save that and give it to those who are hungry and needy here and around the world. I don't know. But I know that if you and I ask, God will give us insight on what he wants. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, help us today to understand what you want and empower us to be the men and women, the boys and girls you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you, folks.